Thank you, Father, that you're always talking with us. You are our strength in our life. Our desire is that we live and move and have our being in the strength that is of Christ. Thank you for upholding us. Thank you for being the lover of our life. Let the words spoken here today, let them be spirit and life. Let them be health and healing to all our flesh, that we could find our hearts cleansed from the fear in the world, that we could find our lives healed from the labors. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Father, we just thank you for all the ladies here today, the ladies watching online. I just pray, Lord, that you give them eyes to see how precious they are to you. I just pray that you give them eyes to see how precious they are to all the people in their lives. I just thank you, Lord, that they could see themselves in you and that when they, they feel that they're misunderstood or when they feel that it's a thankless job being a lady and a mom in this earth, that they could identify with you and they could just find themselves embraced by you and that they can embrace you back. Thank you, Father, that there are the women, that the mothers in this earth are a wonderful testimony of you in the earth. Thank you, Father. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Um, this has been coming up a lot, and sometimes I get so far past things that I've learned and sorted out years ago that I'm just like, you know. And, uh, but things keep coming up, and, and so it's like Peter said to the church, he knew that he was going to be gone soon, like he knew they were coming for his life, and he wasn't going to be with them. But he said he ceased not to stir them up by way of reminding them of the truth, right? The gospel is not like an intellectual exercise. It's not like you're going to try to learn two plus two, and once you learn two plus two and you know it's four, you're good. The gospel is more like eating. And just like you ate yesterday, eh, you ate today, and you're going to eat tomorrow. And so the gospel is more like a bread that you eat every day, a bread that has life in it and that nurtures you and fills you with the nutrients of life. And the way you eat this bread is by hearing the word of Christ or hearing the word of life or talking with Jesus, whichever way you like it. That's how you find yourself nourished with the nourishment of life. And so something that's been coming up a lot um, recently uh, in my interaction with people and just I see it a lot in the world and hear about it a lot is the, the reward of the believer or the believer's rewards or the Christian rewards, or the system of rewards, right? What is the system of rewards, right? Like, what's your reward going to be on the last day? And what has in itself a reward to give you, right? Like, what can give you a reward? What even has a reward to give you? Where can we find that reward? What has a reward in itself to give us? And if there is a reward that we can get, what can pay us the best wage? What can give us the best wage? Right? I mean, sometimes when we weigh jobs out, we're thinking of what pays more. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what job is going to pay me the best wage? Well, this job might pay me 20000 Well, that job might pay me 60000 And so if there is a reward for the believer, what's going to pay us the best wage? What's going to give us the best reward? Because if there's a reward out there, we might as well have it. Glory to God. So that's what we've got to look at today so we can have our hearts 
connect it with the reward and um, we could find our, our minds cleansed from uh, the world's idea of a reward system, R- right? And that's really what, what happens with, with much of the, the doctrine of the church is we tend to mix the world's idea with uh, the doctrine we have. We take the world's idea of what rewards are and then we mix it with the concept of rewards in the Bible. And um, what we'll hear many times is that the believer's reward is portrayed um, sort of like a pyramid, right? Where you have people at the top of a pyramid and people at the bottom of a pyramid. And the people at the top of the pyramid, they're getting better rewards than the people at the bottom of the pyramid. There's like a whole variable uh, variance of rewards. And the people at the top of the pyramid, boy, they're getting great rewards. But in the middle, not as great. And then at the bottom, those are the least of all the rewards. And many times what we hear is, yes, yes, eternal life is is by grace through faith. But the rewards you're going to get, you know? What do we say? What's our funny little cliche about the word but? Really what you mean is said after you say but, right? So it, it just goes to show how little we actually think of having eternal life. Like, we count it as a common thing. Yeah, yeah, I'll have eternal life, but, right? Yes, 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 we'll have eternal life by grace through faith, but the rewards we're going to get are based on the good deeds we performed with our hands while we were in this world. I mean, you know karma, right? Oh, wait, that's not in the Bible. (laughs) Really, we adopt, like, the world's wisdom, karma and things, and we try to mix that in with the gospel, and we try to use the world's understanding and explanation of life to interpret the Bible. And you can never interpret the scriptures that way. Otherwise, you just get the same thinking that comes from the world from the scriptures, right? That's how you know it's not God's way of thinking. So where does that idea of the rewards come from? Like the pyramid, right? Where the people at the top get the most. Like our brother Billy said, You know, somebody may be his boss one day in the new earth, right? Because they did more than him. And, you know, he'll have to serve them. (laughs) If I had hair, that's where you see me scratching. Speaking of the hair thing, you guys, I'm so sorry. I'm like so scattered brain. All the crying, man, messing me up. My, My little niece and my little sister, my niece has an app where it makes you bald. And so you could see what you would look like if you were bald. So they did it to my little sister, Michelle. She looks exactly <laughs> like me. Like, I mean, it, it's like, that's me. They showed it to me, and I was like, oh, my goodness. What's so funny is I used to think that none of us looked alike. I'm like, we don't look like them. They don't look like me and my dad. I thought I looked like my dad. That was the obvious one. But no one else. I don't look like them. They don't look like us. Who are they? And then my mom came home one day with a, uh, her high school senior portrait that her mom painted of her and stuck it on the wall. And immediately I saw both my sisters in that picture. And I saw they look exactly alike. And then I started seeing I look exactly like my brothers. And now I even look like my sisters. <laughs> but we might show that thing um, on the board so people can, can see it because it's hilarious. Um, also, for all you guys that always wanted to see what I looked like when I had hair, but not just what I, when I had hair, but the platinum hair. I found some old negatives, and I'm getting them developed, 
and I'll bring them in so you guys can all see what I looked like when I was a club kid or when I was like a break dancer or when I was a freak, whatever you want to call it, okay? And so you can point and laugh, right? <laughs> Glory to God. But the idea of the pyramids, I'm so sorry. The idea of the pyramids, where does that kind of an idea come from and is that how it really works? Is there really these different levels of rewards and are, do we find our place in the pyramid based on the good deeds we've performed with our own hands? Is that really how the thing goes down? Okay, where do people get that? Right? We, we don't want to just reject that there's an idea that can sound that kind of a way. Because there is an idea that can sound that kind of a way. But what does those things actually mean and what are they actually pointing to? So if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, this is what it says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That already sounds heavy. <laughs> but we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Right? So this is where the idea comes from, where there's going to be a reward given to us, and the reward that's given to us is based on the good or the bad that we have done. That, that's where the idea comes from. But what's the proper explanation or interpretation of that? Hey, listen, guys, just so you know, if he grows weary of being in here, you can go in those rooms. And there's toys and stuff in there if he doesn't want to sit in here. You don't have to have somebody chaperone you to be in there, just so you know. But you're welcome to stay also. Um, so that, that's where people are getting it from. And the judgment seat of Christ is talking about the day of judgment or what the Jewish people would call Yom Kippur or the day of atonement or the restoration of all things. And the day of judgment is the day where Christ comes in a flaming fire of God's life. He comes in a flaming fire of God's life. Not the kind of fire that we think of, right, where you burn some wood. But God's life is like a fire. Right? When you see in the Old Testament, when Moses built the temple made with hands, and it says the presence of God descended into the temple, you know, that was a picture of us being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, the presence of God, when it came into the holiest place, it was a fire. It, that's God showing up there, clothed in the fire of His life. His life is a consuming fire. His life consumes death in darkness. Just like the same way you would flip on a light switch and the light switch dispels the darkness from the room. God's life dispels the darkness. The light of his life dispels death. It's a consuming fire. It consumes everything that isn't born from life or that doesn't have the faith or is of the faith. It removes it. And so the day of judgment is the day where Christ comes clothed in a flaming fire of God's life. And what happens there is every person's work is made manifest of what sort their work is. Right? Now, we talk a lot about the dictionary of our hearts in this church, and I don't have this to the end, but just for the people watching online or anybody who might watch this message, well, when, when every person's work is made manifest to see what sort of a work it is that they've done, the work is not talking about what you do outwardly with your own hands. The work that it's talking about that will be made manifest of what sort it is that every person has done is talking about what have you believed on in your heart? What work have you done in your heart? 
Have you believed on the testimony God's given in Jesus? Or rather, have you allowed yourself to be persuaded by the testimony God has given in Jesus? Or have you hardened your heart to the word of God's grace? Have you hardened your heart to the testimony God's given in Jesus and refused to believe the truth? That's the work that will be made manifest in the day Jesus comes clothed in the flaming fire of God's life. And so the work that every person has done will be made manifest of what sort it is, and then everyone will receive the wage that is paid by the work that they performed. Because just like you have a job in this world, and you do a work, you get a wage for it, right? And if you're negotiating properly, you want to know the wage you're going to get paid before you do the work. Otherwise, the law of expectation could make you very sad at the end of it all. Because you might have expected to get one wage, but you never talked about it. And so then you do the work, and you think that work is going to pay you a certain wage, and then you find out it don't pay you that wage at all. Right? And you could be ashamed, confounded, angry, full of bitterness. And so that's what the day of judgment or the judgment seat of Christ is actually talking about. The judgment of God. You know, Jesus come and said, the Father judges no one. And he says, I also don't judge anyone. He says, there's one that will judge. That's the word that I spoke. Because I have come and declared the work that will pay you with eternal life, which is to believe on me. That's why when the disciples asked Jesus, what are the works of God that we might work them? What did Jesus say? I know you guys are busy thinking, what are the works that you could work for God? You know, from a Jewish mindset, the Jewish mindset was in the day they stand before God, there's going to be a scale there. And all the good deeds that they've done will be added up on the scale and they're going to receive a reward. And so these disciples are asking Jesus, what are the good works we can work for God? That we could do them that we might receive a reward. Well, notice they come to Jesus with a plural form of the word, works. But then Jesus responds with singular. This is the work of God, that you be persuaded by the one that he sent, that you believe on me. And so you guys are busy thinking of how can you gain a reward on the last day? Well, the work that has a reward in itself to pay you with is the work of believing on the one God has sent. And so that's the day of judgment, right? Where God comes, that's the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus has come and declared clearly in the earth that the gift God has to give is eternal life, but the wage that trusting in your own strength for life, the wage that will pay you with is death. Jesus come and declared the two jobs clearly. The two works that you could do, notice both those works happen in your heart. They're both about what you believed on in your heart. Now, on the day of judgment is where it's revealed, the secrets of every person's heart is revealed. And it's seen of what sort of work they've done in their heart. Whether they've believed the truth of the gospel, which is that God has never confused who they are with what they've done, and that he's come to give them his life as a gift, that he's come to conquer the death that was warring against them. Have they believed on that truth in their heart? Or have they rejected the gospel. Have they rejected the free gift of life? That work will be made manifest. That thing that's in every human's heart, one or the other, will be revealed on the last day. And it will be seen whether they believe Jesus or they didn't. That's the day of judgment. Okay? Is everybody following that so far? 
right? What a friend we have in Jesus. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> in the Gentile church, we got this kind of idea where there's going to be a TV on the last day we stand before God, right? And it's going to play all the good and the bad that we did. And we're going to have to give an account for it. And we're all going to be like hoping we've done enough good that the good outweighs the bad, right? And that we get, you know, at least like a little plot somewhere in a glorified earth. <laughs> but that, that, that's not, that's not the, the, the real idea of the scriptures. We've kind of taken that from an ancient Israel idea. But even dating back to ancient Israel, even before Christianity, before Jesus had come and people started believing on Jesus, even before that time, ancient Israel, the idea of the day of judgment for ancient Israel is that everyone's going to stand in the presence of God and there are going to be a scale there. And then that person's life will be weighed in the balance. This is ancient Israel. The Day of Atonement. The Yom Kippur. The Day of Judgment. The way they saw it. Is there, everyone's going to stand in the presence of the Lord. And there's going to be a scale there. And their life is going to be weighed in the balance of that scale. All their works are going to be put on the scale and added up to see much how much good they've done. And then they think they're going to, they say we're going to receive a reward based on the good that we've done with our hands. Clear back to ancient Israel. Now the Gentile church has taken on a similar kind of idea, but we're like the modern world, right? And so we say there'll be a TV. The TV is the scale, right? We don't see the physical scale. They didn't have TVs back then, don't you know? Right? So they couldn't watch YouTube. They didn't have videos. And so they just had to, with these, you know, weekly sad little scales, Right? We got TV. We, and we got big screen TVs. And I don't know if you guys realize it now, though, but there's like 8K TVs. Have you guys seen those TVs? It, it, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's almost like it, it's, I don't even, you don't even think eyes can see that clearly. If you go into the, because we had to buy that TV for Louis's funeral. We didn't have to. We wanted to so we could play his pictures. And the TVs in there were obscene. And so, man, think about how you can't hide from anything in those kinds of TVs. They're so clear. And so now that's, that's our idea. Forget the scales. We got these 8K UHD big screen TVs in heaven that is blasting every single thing we've done and not done. And, you know, it's going to be weighed in the balance, right? So th that's where we got the, the idea of uh, the TV from the scales. Now, the scriptures actually talk about there being scale, a scale. And it does talk about your life being weighed in the balance. And it does talk about a reward. But what do those things actually mean? Is it the way we've thought they've meant? Or is it something completely different? We don't want to throw out what the scriptures say, but we want to come and understand and explain what they actually say. Now listen, guys, our modern minds would fail us in this dynamic because the idea of the scale, the kind of scale we're talking about, is not the kind of scale that's in Winn-Dixie or in Rouse's or in Whole Foods, where there's one scale and you put something on top of it to see how much the thing you put on top of it weighed. That's not the kind of scale we're talking about. We're talking about like antique scales. You ever seen an antique scale? There's two scales. There isn't just one. There's two scales. 
And you're not just putting things on one side to see how much you have there. You're not trying to weigh things on one side to see how much you have there. You already have something on one side of the scale. And then you're putting something on the other side of the scale to see if it levels out or if it equals out. That's the idea of the scale that we're talking about. So it isn't just one scale, nothing's there, and you're just putting something on it to see how much it adds up to. That's not the idea of the scales. The idea of the scales, there's two scales, and there's a measuring rod or a metric of measurement that's already on one side of the scale. And you're trying to see if what is put on the other side of the scale makes the scales equal or not, right? And the point is to get the scale equal, right? For example, when they wanted to weigh gold in like the, the gold rush, the Wild West. Man, we think we have problems with guns now, some people. You know, back then, I mean, the Wild West, I mean, you could just go out and pop a cap in somebody and, it, you know, take their land and stuff. You know what I'm saying? But in the gold rush, when you wanted to weigh gold, you know, the first thing you had to do before you even weighed the gold is you had to put the gold in the fire to see if it was pure or not. You tested it. You proved it is what it's called. Or you tried it to see of what sort of purity it was of and if it was even gold. Now, if it was actually gold, what you would do is, is you would have that scale that had two scales on each side. And you would put like a five ounce weight on one side of the scale. And then you would put the gold on this side of the scale. And you would see if they leveled out or equaled out. And that was the idea of how a scale worked. And so this is the scale that we're talking about on the last day. Two scales, not one. And you're not just laying things on one scale to see how much it adds up to that you laid. There's a metric or a rod of measurement that is already on one side of the scale. And you're seeing if the work that you have done can level out the scale or not. That's how the thing is playing out. Okay? Glory to God. And so on the day of judgment, guys, that's what it will look like. There isn't a scale there and two, empty, and two empty scales. There's two scales. One side is not empty. There's something on the one side that's the measuring or metric of measurement that is there to weigh out the work or the reward that we receive. And if it can be equal, if the scale can be made equal, then the work is good. If the scale is not made equal, then the work is found to be lacking or evil or bad. That's the whole way it works, right? So if the scale is unbalanced, the work you've done is evil or bad. That's how it's weighed, okay? Now listen, this is a great mystery to the church, but the scale is not a literal scale. And the day you stand before the Lord, you're not going to see a literal scale there. That's not what you're going to see. You ain't going to see a literal scale standing there and see one thing on that side of the scale and now you're going to put all your stuff on this kind of scale and you're going to see what's going on. That's not the kind of scale that we're talking about. The scale speaks of a scale in our hearts. That's what the scale is talking about. It's talking about the scale that's in our heart. The scale speaks of a dynamic that occurs in the hearts of people on the day they stand face to face with God. You guys ever notice how we compare ourselves amongst ourselves? You ever notice how we're all the we weigh our lives in the balance every day? Do you realize we weigh our lives in the balance every day? Do you realize we weigh our lives up against something else? 
to determine whether our lives are good or not. We compare ourselves amongst ourselves. When we weigh ourselves out, we think of another person. And we think, do we see what they have? Do we have what they have? And so the scale that's mentioned in the scriptures is not talking about a literal scale. God's not the one who comes with the scale and puts the scale out and say, let's measure the thing out. The scale is talking about dynamic in your heart. We're on the last day when you stand in the presence of the Lord and you stand face to face with the Lord, your heart is going to weigh your life in the balance. And the thing your heart is going to weigh your life in the balance up against is God himself because he's going to be the person you see standing there. And when your heart weighs yourself in the balance, if you don't see in yourself the same glory and immortality you see in God, the scale of your heart is not going to be level. It's going to go like that. And you're going to be like, You ever felt that? Like, let me get up out of this skin. Let me get up out of this room. Let me get up out of this party. Let me get up out of this place because of the anxiety and uncomfortableness you feel. That's what will happen on the last day if the scale in your heart, when it weighs itself in the balance and it compares itself up against something else, it's comparing itself up against God himself. And if your heart looks at God, and sees his glory and his immortality, and your heart doesn't see the same glory and immortality in you that you see in God, the scale's going to be like that. And you're going to be filled with fear. You're going to be filled with confusion. You're going to be filled with shame because you're going to see yourself as clothed in filthy rags, and you're going to cower away from God unto destruction. You're going to run and hide from God, just like Adam did. When you think about the scale, there was a scale in Adam's heart. Why did he run and hide from God? Why was he afraid? Was he afraid that God was going to clothe him? I mean, I don't know if I'm naked. I'm running towards the person that's going to clothe me. You know what I'm saying? Like if I, all of a sudden I'm naked up in front of you guys, my, first, my eyes are looking towards Becky, the lover of my life, and I'm like, woman, you got some clothes somewhere for me? Can I have your sweater? What's going on? I'm not running away from her. I'm running towards her. Clothe me, woman. <laughs> right? And so Adam had a scale in his heart after he ate from the tree. And he, he didn't see in himself what he saw in the God of all glory. And so it caused him to run and cower away from God. The scale in his heart went like that. It wasn't equal because when he weighed himself in the balance, when he weighed his life in the balance, when he looked at himself, he saw his darkness. He saw his body wrapped in darkness and death instead of seeing his body wrapped in light and life. Well, God's wrapped in light and life. And so when his heart compared himself or weighed himself in the balance, the measuring rod or the metric of measurement that he had on one side of the scale of his heart was the glory of God himself. And when he tried to wrap himself in light and life, those were the works he could do with his own hands. When he tried to uh, get the wage of glory and immortality from the works of his own hands, he found it left him clothed in filthy rags. And the scale was uneven. Right? You see that? So on one side of the scale, we have the glory and immortality of God. Because it is God we're going to see on the last day. God's coming. Like, he wants to touch you like the way I could hug you today. He wants to hug you like that. Not a spiritual hug. He wants you to be able to touch him also. 
He wants you to be able to see his eyes looking at you. He wants you to be able to see a physical smile. So he's coming, right? And on the last day, when we see him face to face, the glory and immortality he has in himself becomes the measuring rod that we use in our hearts to weigh ourselves in the balance. Right? You guys following that? So I know I briefly uh, talked about the works which we have done, whether good or bad, of what sort they are. We, all, we immediately think of what we've done outwardly. Right? Like you guys would say, look at the good work Greg has done starting the church. Look at the good deed Becky has done coming alongside and starting the church. Look at the good they do to preach the gospel. When we think about good, we tend to think of those kinds of things. Look at the good they've done to be kind. Look at the good they've done to love. Look at the good they've done to give money. Look at the good they've done to give to the poor. Look at the good, and we think of those as the works. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing that. But when the Bible talks about the work that every person has done and it being weighed in the balance, it's not talking about outward actions. It's talking about the work you've done in your heart. And I'll quote these verses, Jeremiah 17:10, And there's literally hundreds of them. I just wrote down a few so we're not here all day. It is Mother's Day. Jeremiah 17:10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. That word search could mean try or prove the heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So here's God saying, I want to, I'm, every person is going to have the fruit of their way or the fruit of their doing. And then Jeremiah says, when God goes to look for what they've done or their way, he looks in their heart for it. He doesn't look at what they've done outwardly. When he thinks of what they've done, when he thought of, thinks of the way that they're of, he doesn't look at what they've performed outwardly. He goes searching up into their hearts. That's why Paul would come and say, in the day that the secrets of man's hearts are made manifest. The secret of your heart. You know why it's called a secret? You can't see in there. You can't see in there. I can't see in there. So the secret of your heart is what have you believed on for life? Jeremiah comes and says, God searches to find what you've done. The way he searches to find what you've done is he looks deep into your heart to see what have you believed on for life. And that's how God looks for what you've done. What have you done in the sense of what have you believed? Revelation 2.23 and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works or deeds. There it is again. Where do I look for the work or the deed that you've done? I search the heart. So there's a work that people do in their heart. And every person has done it. No one is void of doing it. You've either believed on the Lord Jesus or you've hardened your heart and rejected the Lord Jesus. You, you've, one of those two things. Proverbs 17.3 says this. The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. That means where you try it to see the purity. But the Lord tries the hearts. Does that say the Lord tries the outward actions? 
The Lord tries the heart. It means the Lord shows up, and then what the heart has believed on, the secret of their heart, is laid bare. You know the verse that says all things are laid bare in the presence of the Lord? So in the day the Lord shows up, you can't hide what you believed on in your heart. Like the secret of your heart is coming out in the open. And it's going to be revealed. Psalm 14, verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Who's the fool? The one who says there is no God. Where does he say that there's no God? In his heart. They are corrupt. Notice, notice the description now of the fool saying in his heart, there is no God. They have done abominable works. Do you know what the abominable works are? Saying in your heart that there is no God. So where was the work that you did that was abominable? In your heart. What was the work that you did in your heart that was abominable? You said there was no God. Right? You see that? So when we look closely at those verses, they all say the works or the deeds we do happen in our heart. They all equate the deeds or the works that a person does with what they believed on in their heart. They all say that. That's what they all say. And they say that God lets the person have the fruit or the wage that is paid by the work that they've done. He bows his head to them as a co-equal. You know, the Bible, when it describes love in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, if you haven't made this connection yet, I know we like to read 1 Corinthians 13 and, and try to put a heavy yoke on ourselves about what we must do. You can find that kind of love pouring out of you, right? When that which is perfect has come and you've known yourself the way God has always known you, you can find the love of God manifesting in you and pouring out of you. But 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about God. John says God is love. And so go insert God in there in 1 Corinthians 13 for every part it says love. God. Put God in there. You know what it says about love? Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. That's quite an amazing statement. So on the last day, God honors all the people as a co-equal to him. It's just like with the, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. The father honored the son. That's what you want? Here you go. And he let him have it. He couldn't stop him anyway. Try stopping your adult children from doing anything. Stop trying. Yeah, you ask my dad. He'll say, adult, what you talking about? Try stopping your 15-year-old from doing what they want. <laughs> and then use me as the 15-year-old. Yeah, you're not stopping me. And so love doesn't insist on its own way. So on the last day, God will allow the person to have the fruit or the wage that is paid by the work they performed. And when he shows up on the last day, clothed in a flaming fire of his life, that flaming fire, which is a light, you know, just like light makes everything manifest in the dark. If we walk in here at, at, at night, it's dark in here. You can't see anything. You can't see chairs. You can't see paintings. You can't see the speakers. You can't see anything in here when you walk in at night. You know what happens when I flip on the light? All things are made manifest. Everything that was here is brought out in the open. 
That's what happens. That's how it goes down on the last day. So, guys, when God thinks of the work a person has done or the deed they've done, and whether it's good or whether it's evil, he's thinking of the faith in the person's heart. That's what he's thinking of. Let's look into their heart to find what they have done. See, humans think, let's look at their actions to find what they have done. We even have nice little cliches that we think are so awesome and wise. Right? What do we say? Actions are, speak louder than words. And we're like, yeah. Actions speak louder than words. And then we use it against each other, right? We normally say that when we don't like the actions of the other person. <laughs> Isn't it? But God don't see it that way. I mean, Jesus even come and said, I judge no one after the flesh. You judge people after the flesh. And when did he say that? When they threw the woman caught in adultery at his feet. They were judging her because of her outward actions. Jesus said, I don't judge the outward action. I search the heart. I look into the heart to find what a person has done. I look into the heart to see the work that they've performed. Because it's about the faith that's in their heart. And so it's the belief that's in the heart that's weighed in the balance. <coughs> Not our outward actions. On the last day, when our lives are weighed in the balance, it's the belief in our heart that will be weighed in the balance, not the actions a person has performed. The reward we receive will be based on the belief we have in our heart, not the outward actions we perform. How do we know? Because hundreds of all the scriptures say that God tries the heart, not the outward actions people perform. They all say that. And if you don't like that, those verses, here's another verse for you that I'll quote here in a little while. Isaiah 64, that says all your righteous acts, all your good things, all your good deeds, all the good things you think you can do, they're as filthy rags. Filthy rags. I, whatever image you get in your mind when you think of a filthy rag, now think of 1,000 times more filthy than that. That's what all the righteous things you could do outwardly are worth on the last day when it comes to leveling out that scale. Worthless. Worthless towards the end of giving your reward. Worthless. So the scripture says, God tries the heart and the reins, and he lets us have the fruit that is produced by the belief we've adopted. He tries. What does it mean to try? For something to be tried means for the substance that it has in itself to be measured or weighed in the balance to see of what quality it is and what it has in itself to give. Right? And we talked about it a little bit already, but it's like with gold. How do you try gold? Right? Do you, do, do you know what it means to try gold? When you try gold, what you're really trying to figure out is, is that gold? <laughs> is that really gold or is that fake? Like, is that a knockoff or is that real? I don't know how old you guys are, and so you might have not have had this when you were in junior high, but when I was in junior high, gold chains were like all the rage. We got our gold chains, boy, right? And we all wanted our gold chain. The rope, the rope gold, too, right? You know, the braid. You got to have that gold chain. Well, you think people didn't start selling knockoffs? And so you think you went and got a gold chain, you didn't get no gold chain. <laughs> 
you got some gold painted thing that ain't gold at all. Now, so we would, we would test it. We would try the gold chain to see of what purity it was and if it was really gold. And, you know, a professional, they would use a fire to test the purity of a gold. That would prove whether it was gold or whether it was just dross. And that's how you try the gold is with the fire. But we didn't have no fire and we weren't professionals. And so we found out that there was a makeup, like a foundation, that if you rubbed on your hand or on your arm, you could take the gold or the thing that was supposed to be gold and you would mark it. And if it left a black mark, that meant it was real gold. If it didn't leave a black mark, it meant that it wasn't gold. Is it, you th it's backwards? It might be backwards. But, but, but that's the, so it doesn't, leave a, it doesn't leave a black mark if it isn't gold or if it is gold. I might have the, the result backwards. But that's the test that we used, right? And we had all of our, our, our lady friends around. They all had makeup. You know, in high school, the girls are really into the makeup, right? Because they're, you know, they're becoming a woman, an adult, and they're, oh, we're going to have the makeup. And so they all had foundation. Put some foundation on your arm. Test that gold. We were trying the gold to see if it was real or not, to see if it had gold in itself, or to see if it was some fake aluminum or copper or anything like that, Right? We're testing to see how pure the makeup of it was. And that's what it means to try it. When you look in the scriptures, when God gave the law to the Israelites, Exodus 20 says the reason God gave the law was to prove their heart. He was trying it to show them whether the work they had done in their heart was pure or not so they could see what sort of work they had done was, whether it was good or bad. You see, the Israelites, they had performed the bad work in their heart. They were trusting in the strength of the flesh for life. And the reward or the wage the strength of the flesh has to pay a person with is death. And so they were all the time dying. And they couldn't see why they were dying. And God kept telling them why they're dying. And they still couldn't get it. And so it's not God said, we're going to give you this law so we can prove your heart or weigh your heart in the balance or try it. So we can take the belief that you're believing on for life in your heart and we can put it on display in your midst so you can see clearly the wage or the reward that belief has in itself to give you. That's what he's talking about. He took the wisdom that they implemented to try to attain to blessing in life and he tried it in their midst. He weighed it in the balance. Let's see what this belief has in itself. Let's see if this belief can level the scale. Because the metric you're using in your heart to weigh yourself in the balance is the metric of my life. Let's see if the work you've done in your heart, when you believed on the strength in your own hand, let's see if the wage that work can pay you can actually bring forth a life that can lay on the scale of your heart and level it out. And so he tested it. He didn't test them. He's not testing them. He's putting on display the faith in their heart when it says God proved Abraham. It doesn't mean that he tested Abraham. It said he saw the faith that was in Abraham's heart and he said, let's bring this faith that's in Abraham's heart out in the open so everyone can see it. <laughs> and what was in Abraham's heart? Yo, Abe, you going up the mount to offer a sacrifice? You ain't got no sacrifice. What came out of Abraham's heart? 
The Lord will provide himself a lamb. The Lord will take away the death of Isaac by providing himself a lamb. Hebrews would go on to say that Abraham believed that God could even raise the dead. And so the faith in Abraham's heart was proved or it was brought out in the open so everyone could see what it was. Right? That's what it means to try something. God doesn't decide what your reward will be. He doesn't decide for you what your reward will be. He's not like, well... You know, like when I was the manager of that finance company, we did performance reviews. And I had like 40 employees underneath me. And for the people that, you know, were just getting by, well, glory to God, you're just getting by. I would just give them the normal raise, right? I would think about, well, what are, how hard are they doing? And then I would decide their, their raise like that. But when people were like all in and like, working hard, like slaving for the job. You think I wasn't in my boss's office telling him, this guy deserves more. This girl deserves more. Why? Because I sat around and thought of what do they deserve based on what they've done? That's not the same dynamic we're talking with God. He doesn't decide for you what your reward will be. The reward is built into the two different beliefs. There's a reward contained in there already. The faith has in itself a reward to give, and iniquity has within itself a wage to give. It's just like with the seed. The seed contains the tree in itself. Like if you go and buy a seed, is it the seed that you want, or is it the reward that it has in itself to give you that you want? Do you want the tree, or do you want the seed? I mean, listen, I like satsuma seeds, but do I like satsuma seeds because I like satsuma seeds? No, I like satsuma seeds because I know the reward of a satsuma tree is in that seed. I know that the satsuma, the fruit, is in that seed. So within the seed is contained a reward that will come forth. The two different beliefs are that way. The faith contains within it a reward. Iniquity contains within it a reward. That's how the reward works. So God tries the heart. What does that mean? We already hit on it. He shows up in the glory of the fire of his life. He shows up like that. Just like flipping on the lights make everything manifest. When he shows up like that, it flips on the lights. Man, when we were, <laughs> when we were young, we were very angry. And we had misdirected hostility. One of the ways we got out our anger is we would go to uh, certain rock shows and we would get in what's called the pit. And in the pit, you just beat each other up. You beat each other senseless. Like you tried to take each other out. Like elbowing people in the face. I mean, just like a maniac like it, it's it's like 50 people in the middle of a clearing who all become like possessed by their anger and their pain and their bitterness and they start taking it out on one another and you're just going crazy well you would beat each other senseless all night and something they would do at the end it happened when becky and i were dating at the end we were at a rage against the machine concert and we had gotten separated. And I was just in the pit getting beat up. I'm not that big of a guy, but I am very angry. I was very angry. And so, let's go. What did you got? 
One of my friends bit through his tongue in the pit. Right? You, you, you get crazy. Well, this particular show, they flipped on the light at the end. The last song. And you could see everyone clearly. You couldn't see him before that because it was dark. You couldn't see their face, their eyes. You couldn't see it. It was hidden. They flipped on the lights and it was all made manifest. And the person you were beating on, you could look them right in the eye. And it was this crazy dynamic where the lights were on and you could see all these people. Oh, my goodness. That's how it is on the last day when God shows up. The lights flicked on. And whatever is in your heart, whatever you believed on for life, whether it's the faith or whether it's your own strength, that's going to be made manifest. It's going to be clearly seen. It's going to be brought out in the open. There isn't going to be any hiding it anymore, right? Now, when the thing you believed on for life, remember, both those things has a wage to pay. Both those things have something to give you. When the thing you believe on for life pays you the wage that it has in itself to give you, that's the reward. That reward will then stand on the scale of your heart. That, you already have, you see God. Oh my gosh, there's God. You either have the faith in your heart or you have iniquity. And now the reward of each one of those things comes out and is given to you. And then that reward will stand on the other side of the scale. And it will either weigh the scale out or the scale will go like that. You understand this dynamic? So the way it works is you first receive your reward. And then your reward stands on the scale. The scale isn't, you take the good you performed in the earth, and then you put that on the scale. And that measures out your reward. No, 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 that's not how it goes. No, no, no. We first receive the reward that is contained in the work that we performed in our hearts, whether we've believed the testimony God's given in His Son, or we've rejected that testimony, and then the reward we've received based on the work we've done on our heart is going to stand on the scale. And the scale will either be equivalent to the glory we see in God Himself, or the scale will not be equivalent. It will go like that. That's how the reward, that's what the reward is. The reward is the very glory and immortality of God himself. That's the reward of the believer. That, that's all that there is. And unless we see the same glory and immortality in ourselves that we see in God, the scale of our hearts won't be level. And do you know what? It's not going to be God that will condemn you. Because remember, the scale's not in his heart, it's in your heart. If you don't see the scale as equal, if the heart of your scale goes like that, when you weigh yourself in the balance and the thing you use to weigh your life in the balance is the glory and immortality you see in God himself, if you don't see that same glory and immortality in you, the scale's gonna go like that in your heart and you're gonna consider yourself to be unworthy to be in the presence of the Lord. And you're going to cower away from God in fear unto destruction. God doesn't consider anybody unworthy of eternal life. And he never has. And even if you read in Revelation on the last day, even when it talks about those who rejected God, going into the lake of fire, if you read carefully there, it says the gates are open. The gate isn't closed to anyone. 
And so God doesn't judge anyone unworthy of eternal life. But many people will judge themselves unworthy of God on that day. It's just like Paul said in Acts when he spoke, when he's preaching to the Jewish people in the synagogues. And they were rejecting his message. Do you know what he said? Seeing how you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. I'm taking the message to the Gentiles. He didn't say God judged them unworthy. He said they judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. If you read in 1 John, John talks about, as Jesus is now, so are we in this world. It's not yet seen what we will be, but we know, because we believe on the testimony God's given, when we see him, we'll see we're the same as him. And he said, beloved, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Meaning, if in the day Jesus comes, we don't see that we're the same as him, our hearts are going to work condemnation in us. And if your heart is working condemnation in you, if you're judging yourself to be unworthy, do you know who else you're thinking is also judging you to be unworthy? God. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this dynamic. Have you ever noticed how what you believe about yourself, you immediately think everybody else believes it also? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed if you feel unworthy in a certain area, you think everyone else also thinks that about you? You don't just say you believe it. You interpret it in everyone else also. We transpose the belief of our own hearts onto the people around us. And so, like me, if I think I'm too loud, and I think I'm obnoxious and too intense, I immediately judge everyone else as thinking that too. So in the day, you stand in the presence of God, and there's his glory and immortality, and that becomes one side of the scale of your heart. If you don't see yourself clothed in the same glory and immortality, the scale won't be level in your heart. You'll see an inequality or an inequity. Your heart will judge you as unworthy, and you'll think God has also judged you as unworthy, and you're running from him. You're out of there. And so, the whole gospel, God knows the dynamic of human. He's trying to level the scale of our hearts. And he knows the thing we're going to weigh ourselves in the balance with is God himself. In his glory and immortality, he knows that's going to be on this side of the scale. And he says, the only way I can level the scale is if I can send a seed into the earth. That within this seed is contained the very glory and immortality I have in myself. And this seed can dwell in the people who believe on the word that's sown. And then that seed can produce in them the glory and immortality I have in myself when I come and stand face to face with them. That will level the scale. Hallelujah. Now listen, unless you think the good works you can perform outwardly with your hands, I don't care how nice it is you think that we have this church. I don't care how noble you think it is that we don't tell you you have to give us money. I don't care how noble it is that you think it is that we love you more than we love ourselves. I don't care how noble you think it is that we don't even tell you you have to come to church. I don't care how great you think that is. Ain't none of that can give me the glory and immortality of God. Ain't none of that can produce that reward. And that's the only reward that can level the scale. So unless you think the good deeds you're doing possesses within itself a wage of glory and immortality, 
It's fruitless, it's unprofitable, it's worthless towards the end of being on the scale. And it has no reward in itself to give you. Like I quoted Isaiah 64, all our good acts are like a dirty robe. All our good acts are like a dirty robe. All our righteousness, this is how the Amplified would say it, all our righteousness, our best deeds of rightness and justice, filthy rags or a polluted garment. You know what that is? A diaper. I love our dear brother Bertie Britt's napkins in South Africa, diapers. They call diapers napkins. And so Bertie was sitting at the dinner table the first time he came to be with us. We didn't know him that well yet. This, God bless this man. He just comes. He doesn't even know us. He doesn't know any of the people. He comes and stays in our house to minister. And we, we don't have to pay him to even come. In fact, we had to send a letter saying we didn't want nothing and we didn't expect nothing for him to come. We asked that guy if he wanted a, nap, a napkin and he was like, no, I don't want a napkin. Why would I want a dirty diaper? And there's no little babies around. He's probably thinking, these guys got dirty diapers stored up somewhere? That's what Isaiah says. All of the good deeds we can perform outwardly are towards the end of giving us a reward. See, because the reward isn't about the lot you're going to have in heaven or the lot you're going to have in a glorified earth. The reward is about inheriting all the fullness of God himself. And the reason the reward is about that is because that's the only thing that can level the scale. And so listen, man, the reward for the believer is the fullness of God himself received in your body. Well, after Jesus was raised from the dead, it says the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily. Listen, man, if you inherit all of God himself inside of your physical body, you don't care about how big your land is. Because you don't think in terms of lack. <laughs> you think in terms of the life that I have in myself is full of abundance. It's a well of living water. So you're not busy with external things. Right? So man, I hate to break it to you, but if you were hoping to have more than your neighbor, <laughs> if, you, if, that's, if, if your whole life in Christianity was about you wanting more, than the guy next to you? If the reason you have a ministry or a church is because you want to have a greater reward than the prostitute that might come to the Lord on her deathbed, if that's what you're busy with, I hate to break it to you, there's only two rewards rendered on the last day. And either you're going to receive the reward of the fullness of God himself, or are you going to receive the reward of the fullness of death itself? That's it. That's it. That's the only reward. You see how the carnal mind will say it. That's the only reward. Okay, so imagine this. I come and tell you that the reward for the believer is all of God himself. And you want to know how big your house is in heaven. <laughs> Listen, I'm not ashamed of you, but I see that you don't understand. <laughs> That's all that I want to say there, right? Because I see a person who knows they've inherited the fullness of God himself. They're not even caring about the house they have here. 
much less the house they have somewhere else. Right? You can't get more than all of God himself. You can't get more than God. And that's really what you're saying. If the reward is all that God is and all that God has in himself, if God has ordained to break you off the fullness of what he has and he's given it all to you he hasn't held anything back from you so you're going to inherit the same thing with him it says you're going to reign with god it doesn't say you're going to reign under god it says you're going to reign with god now if you think you're going to get a greater reward than god himself has you're confused and the reward i have is of god and his strength it's not of my own strength Either it be grace or it's works. And if it's grace, it can't be your works. And if it's your works, it ain't got nothing to do with grace. Right? You can't mix the two. And I would explain 1 Corinthians 3, but I'll save that for the Bible study. Right? I try to pose the questions that people might have and then answer them. So next week at the Bible study will answer 1 Corinthians 3 and explain what that's talking about. For anybody that's thinking that question in your mind, glory to God. What about? Hallelujah. I'm going to explain the what about in the Bible study next week. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that you've given us all of yourself. Thank you, Father, there's no greater reward than you. Thank you, Father, that uh, you've seen fit to give us the same reward that you're going to have on the last day. Thank you, Father, that we'll all rejoice in the same reward with you that we won't rejoice just within ourselves because what good is it to rejoice alone and unless my neighbor can rejoice with me and unless i can rejoice with you and our rejoicing can be the same what good is it thank you father that on the last day we'll be rejoicing with one another and rejoicing with you because we're all sharing in the same reward thank you that there's no lack in your reward that your reward is so much that there can be nothing above it and there can be nothing under it it just is thank you father for healing our sight for healing our hearts thank you father for the mothers thank you that they could know they're loved for the rest of today and for every day after glory to god hallelujah thank you guys i love you guys have a great day you're awesome thank you for coming and being with me even on mother's day i can't tell you how loved i feel thank you guys for watching online hallelujah